and all the servants you have and your family right now, your extended family. And then after this, in other generations, on the eighth day, every male child has to be circumcised. And that's why we see this verse in Luke 2.21, talking about Jesus. We can put that slide up there. Yeah. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, Jesus, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given him before he was conceived. So we can see thousands of years later, this is still going on. And Jesus himself submitted himself, his family submitted himself to this practice. God made this covenant with Abraham, this loving commitment, a faithful promise, a binding agreement. And he chooses this practice of circumcision as the sign of the covenant. This is how you're going to be marked and set apart as a people. Okay? This will be a sign of the covenant, verse 11 says. Now, after Noah survived the flood, in Genesis chapter 9... God said this, I have set my rainbow in the clouds as a sign of the covenant. I am making between me and you and every living creature to never flood the earth again. So Abraham's probably thinking, some guys get rainbows. I get circumcision. It's a tough sign, God, tough sign, right? How about you mark us with mullets or something, right? Can you imagine This will be my sign for all generations. (laughs) Business in the front, party in the back, right? For all people. This is how you'll know who my followers are. That's almost looks like Keith Hernandez, doesn't it? Really? You don't even know who Keith Hernandez is, some of you, but that's okay. But he doesn't choose the mullet, he chooses circumcision. So, a little side story on this topic. We brought our son Xavier home from Ethiopia. We adopted him uh, right before he was one, and he hadn't been circumcised, so we made an appointment to go do that procedure. I remember we get down to the hospital that day. The doctor walks into the room, kind of tells us how this is going to go, and he introduces himself. And I swear this is true. He says, hi, my name is Dr. Wait for it, St. Peter. And I mean, I almost just broke out dying laughing as I thought, if any man was made to be a doctor who does circumcisions, it was you. So I felt like Xavier was in pretty good hands with Dr. St. Peter. I was like, that's the guy I want forever. So for a one-year-old, you know, it was a little uncomfortable for a couple days. And then he was back on his feet and fine. And, you know, Abraham's 100 when this happens, okay? So, of course, this all begs the question, why did God choose this sign, such a a painful and bloody sign like this? Well, best that I can explain it, circumcision involves a casting away of the flesh. And since the Garden of Eden, humanity had been struggling with its flesh, wanting to have their own way instead of God's. So circumcision for the Israelites, God is saying, I don't want you to put any trust in your flesh. In Noah's time, God just about wiped the flesh off the face of the earth. So the children of Israel would be marked by a distrust in the flesh. Okay, Circumcision wasn't a new practice. A lot of other cultures and regions around them also circumcised their males, but it was primarily done as kind of a rite of passage when boys would go through puberty And it was really more of a sign of strength and fertility. 
And so when God introduces this and says, I want eight-year-old babies to do this, it's really more symbolized more as a, of a posture of weakness and vulnerability. But God didn't stop with this outward symbol. He wanted inward transformation as well. Okay? So he's saying, hey, just putting the Jesus fish on the back of your car or wearing the WWJD bracelet, that's not going to be enough here. I, I want to change you on the inside. Okay? Things like baptism or wedding rings, those are, those are all outward symbols of a deeper inward commitment. And, and, and nothing really changes. Those things don't really mean anything unless something changes in your heart. Just because I put a wedding ring on doesn't mean I'm going to be a faithful husband bound to my covenant, right? Something has to change in me where I say, my wife is more important. I, I'm being you know, selfless and putting her first in my life. I want you to turn your Bibles now over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10 is page 169. This is Moses again, and he's writing and kind of explaining this on a deeper level. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says this, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. And he says this, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So he says, circumcise your hearts. And this is kind of this curious image and the New Testament writers really grabbed a hold of that imagery. And many times if you read through the New Testament and in your future you'll do that, you'll read and you'll see this phrase, circumcise your heart. Now you'll know kind of where this all started, where that imagery comes from for the people of Israel, what that would have meant to the audience that heard it. This outward change, this sign, this outward circumcision isn't enough. Your inward heart has to change. That sinful, self-centered, rebellious, prideful spirit in you has to be cut away. So what is the sign? What are the, what are the, the telltale signs of a heart that's been circumcised, a heart that's been changed? It's having a heart like God. And his heart is described for us in verse 18, right? It says, God's heart is this. He's a defender of the fatherless and the widow, the lover of the foreigner, the strangers among us. You know, guys, you might be showing up at church and you might be going to Young Life Club and you might be serving, you might be giving. All those things are good things. But have our hearts been changed? Has our sinful flesh been cut away? Do we care about the same things and the same people that God cares about? 
Would you be described as a defender of the fatherless and the widow? Do you hang out with people who are just like you? Or people that sometimes are uncomfortable to be around? And here's an important thing for us to keep in mind, extremely important. In the Old Testament, when God would ask his people to obey certain things, okay, so he would give them the Ten Commandments, he would say, walk blamelessly, he would say, I need your hearts to be circumcised. He said those things, and he didn't mean for them to try to attain them in their own effort. Those commands were given to us to show their, us our inability to do it for ourselves. Those things were given to us to show us our inability to do it. And so I laugh sometimes about people that want to put the Ten Commandments up in school, like that's such an important thing. And like, I'm not saying that it's not important, but it's not a checklist of rules that anybody can figure out <laughs> and do. It's to show us and to shed light on our need for a Savior. The whole Old Testament, guys, is just pointing us towards Jesus. It's God setting us up in some ways to fail, to realize we can't do it on our own, that we have to be dependent on him. We have to come to him. And that's why when Jesus came, he went underneath the surface with the commands, right? He looked at people when they gathered him up to these Jews, and he said, you guys know that one of the Ten Commandments is do not commit adultery, But I say to you, if you even look at another woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. It's the same thing. When he would talk to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he would say, you guys like to polish up the outside of the cup. Right? You're you're doing all the right things. You've been circumcised. You're memorizing scripture. You're going to all the religious festivals and making the sacrifices. You're paying your 10%. But inside the cup, the inner heart of you, you are wicked and you're greedy. In Matthew 25, Jesus wants to know, where were you when I was hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison? Did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you come and visit me? Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Whatever you haven't done for the least of these, you haven't done for me. It's all about the heart. (laughs) So if we can't circumcise our own hearts, cut away our own flesh then what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy 36 has some amazing promises for us. It says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God will do it for you. If we cooperate with him, if we walk with him, then he will shape and change our hearts so that we care about the things that he cares about and the people that he cares about as well. Isn't that an amazing promise? And in the New Testament, with the presence of the resurrected Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for those who call themselves followers of Christ, we have even more help in this process I want you to look at what Paul wrote in Colossians 2. If you could turn your Bibles there, page 1076. Colossians chapter 2. Paul is talking about Christ's 
work. Page 1076 and, and starting in verse 11. Paul says, In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ has redeemed us. And through his death and resurrection, he's canceled our indebtedness and our hearts were circumcised through baptism, through that imagery of of dying to our flesh and our old way of living and thinking and then being raised up, reborn into our new faith. We've been given a new heart. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 2. So not only do we have Christ working to, to change and circumcise our hearts, we've got God working at it, the Father, we've already talked about that. Romans chapter 2, page uh, 1026, Paul says this in verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So what he's saying is, is guys, just because you were born Jewish and circumcised on the eighth day doesn't mean your heart's in the right place with me. Just because you were born into a Christian family and you've all grown up going to church and stuff doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. Just because you're here this morning at church in this building doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. No more so than being in a garage makes you a car. That's a work that God has to do in us. God has to change us. Christ provided the way. He's given us the opportunity. If we invite him in, it says the Holy Spirit in Romans is doing that, is working for us. It's by the Spirit this happens. Not by following the rules. Not by the written code, Paul says but by a work that God does in you. So what does all this mean? (laughs) It's not every day you come to church and you talk about circumcision for 30 minutes, right? So what do I want you to remember of all this? Well, guys, from the very beginning of humanity, when given free will and the opportunity to choose, man said, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. And each one of us is guilty of that as well. We're going to operate in the flesh instead of the spirit. I'm going to trust my wisdom instead of yours. And with sin unleashed in the world, we were incapable of obeying God. And you can look at any biblical hero you want to look at, starting with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Mary. Great name for a band, right? Every one of those folks failed in big, colossal ways, sometimes on multiple occasions. 
They needed a savior. And God is so gracious to us, guys. He could have just taken flesh and just wiped it off the face of the earth. But instead, he chose to redeem us. He chose to take us in and call us his children, even though we were strangers to him and enemies to him. He did all the heavy lifting to, to, to make a way for our hearts to be circumcised so that we might love him and others more freely. And that ought to cause us great joy. And that ought to make us want to praise him because it's not about our ability to do it. It's about his grace for us and the ability that he gives us to do it through his spirit living in us. And finally, in order to enter into this covenant and receive all of those tremendous blessings, Abraham had to be willing to have his flesh cut away. He had to trust God and endure some pain. And we are all called to that same process, right? We are called to be living sacrifices of God, which means that we need to be open to God coming in and cutting away those sinful, prideful, disobedient parts in us. Those parts that that want to disobey, that ultimately our hearts might be healed and long to please him. It's a posture that God's asking us to have of complete surrender and complete trust in his surgical process of making us more like Christ. You know, uh, somebody asked Michelangelo how he created David, how he saw it, how he took this lump of marble and made it into him. He said, I just cut away the parts that weren't David. You know, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to, to chip away the parts that aren't Jesus. And he's committed to doing that. But it requires some surrender, some cooperation on our parts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we